This reading is John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he gives it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're new to Grace or you haven't been here for a while, we've been engaging in a conversation about where God has brought us as a church and talking about where He might be taking us. And to do that, Lou has been using a helpful visual that's kind of gotten a little bit of a facelift. Not, not by me, because I, I thought his was perfectly fine, but someone else decided it wasn't. Uh, and, and so you see this quadrant, or this matrix, and you see that there are four different quadrants. You'll see on the low end, it's referred to as low connection. On the high end, is high connection. And then moving from left to right, you see low distinction, high distinction. And now this is to describe really often what, or how churches, what Christians how they see themselves, how churches often operate. And Lou's been suggesting that there's been a trajectory, at least for his time here at Grace, where he, he really came in and it was a time when there was pretty low connection to people outside of the walls of the church. But there was high connection. And we've had that defined for us or explained to us as a religious weird. Now, I actually come from a church that was religious weird. So I wasn't here necessarily when Grace was like that, but my upbringing actually has this similar trajectory. Well, I came to Grace, and I would say that I was, my eyes were open to this idea of actually wanting to go outside the walls of the church, wanting to engage people. And our church has been brought to that place. 
And Lou suggested that that's defined by high connection. But in some ways, there's low distinction. Where we've so desired to connect with others that perhaps we've lost some distinction. And that's known as the beer and brownies category. Or as other people have told me, maybe tapas and top knots. Uh, and, or skinny jeans and cold brew. I mean, honestly, the possibilities are infinite. Uh, so if you have some good ones, just throw them our way. But this is, this is really the quadrant where like, we want to be in people's lives. We see the importance of being in people's lives, particularly those who don't know Jesus. But there's this sense in which we don't really want to be distinct. We're afraid of actually what that might cost in terms of the relationship. But as Lewis said, if, if we have low distinction and high connection, we have people with whom to share a message, but no message to share. And so perhaps what God is doing and what I really feel and believe God is doing and where he's taking us is into this quadrant of high connection, high distinction, which we've been labeling, calling Jesus weird. And I've seen, I've ex- I so appreciated this conversation because I believe that this is where God wants to take us. And I believe that, not just because we talk about it, or not because I'm a pastor here, but because I've seen God do work in my life. Like, I've actually had a fresh experience of Jesus coming alive in me and wanting to release his life through me, and I've seen fruit from that. And it gets me excited to think of a church, of a group of people who operate in this way. People who are Jesus weird. People who the world looks at and say, why are you that way? And the only answer to give is Jesus. And so as I've been thinking about this, if we're pushing into this quadrant of being Jesus weird, then the question that I've been wrestling with is what are some, what are some postures that might actually make that possible? And as I was thinking about that question personally, one that I kept feeling like came up for me over and over and over again in my own life is this issue of attentiveness. That I really believe if we're going to have a people, or if I'm going to be a person who is Jesus weird, then intimately connected to that is that I become a person who is attentive. Attentive to Jesus and attentive to people. Now, attentiveness, as I've thought about it and as I've been wrestling with it, is really interesting. Because it's, it's pretty scarce, at least in our culture. And I feel like it was pretty scarce in my life. Because paying attention is the opposite of being distracted. And being attentive re- involves reflecting which is the opposite of neglect. And I'd say that being distracted and actually neglecting has been, have been things that I've wrestled with and I've been struggling with. I'm in the middle of reading a book. I haven't read it all. But I'm in the middle of reading a book by, by the author Matthew Crawford. Now, Matthew Crawford is this really interesting figure who got a PhD and decided that instead of doing what all other PhD people do, which is go and teach... He, he's going to be a, a motorcycle mechanic. So I heard this and I thought, I need to read this, what he, 
what he's written, because that's just so fascinating to me, and it boggles my mind, and it goes against the grains of so many things that I've actually heard or have pursued myself. And see, Matthew Crawford argues that paying attention is no longer in vogue. And one of the reasons is, is because people don't recognize that attention is actually a resource. That attention is a resource that we allocate to different things. And we don't recognize it as a resource, and therefore we are squandering it away. By all the different things that we distract ourselves with, all the different stimuli that we voluntarily allow into our lives. And we've lost the ability to focus. And so he argues this, but he actually says there's a reason, there's an underlying reason why this is so easy for us. And he says this, I think the experience of attending to something isn't easily made sense of within the prevailing Western anthropology that takes autonomy as the central human good. I'm going to read that again. I think the experience of attending to something isn't easily made sense of within the prevailing Western anthropology that takes autonomy as the central human good. He goes on to say that autonomy literally means giving a law to oneself. And the opposite of autonomy is, what, is what's called heteronomy, which is actually being guided by something other than you, something alien to you. And he's saying attention actually doesn't make sense in a culture that's so wrapped up in this idea of wanting to give law to oneself that anything outside of your head is a threat. Anything that you could potentially be attentive to would be a threat, and therefore we've decided not to be attentive to anything because we want to rule our own lives. And I've actually noticed this being true as I reflect back on my life and why it's so easy for me to not to attend to anything, let alone Jesus or others, because it doesn't make sense if the story is all about me. But if we're going to be Jesus weird, and that means actually following Jesus, then attentiveness is absolutely central because it is the thing that pulls me outside of myself. Pulls me outside of myself to focus on the one who is supposed to be calling the shots in my life. Attentiveness is so absolutely important if I'm going to be a disciple, if I'm going to follow Jesus, because it's a reminder and it's a reorientation to the reality that I am not the one who is giving law to myself. That there is a much different and better way, and that is the way of Jesus, of following after him. And Jesus himself actually gives us a picture of what this looks like. He was attentive to the Father. I mean, if you look at John 5, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And then in John 10, he says, I only say what I hear my Father saying. Jesus lived an attentive life to the Father. And then later on, he actually picks up a metaphor that as he is attentive to the Father, we are to be attentive to him. And he says he is the shepherd and we as his people are his sheep. He is the one to be leading and guiding. I am the one to be attentive and following. But the thing is, is we, I, don't want to be a sheep. Who does? I want to be the one calling the shots in my life. I don't want to be the one following and being led. But then Jesus actually picks up a different metaphor later on 
of what it looks like to be attentive. And he, he picks up the, the metaphor of, of abiding. Like fruit abiding to a vine. And there's this constant refrain, right, in John 15 of, of abide in me and I in you. And if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I mean, it's this constant be in me and I will be in you. It's over and over and over and over again. It's as if to suggest that the only way to be Jesus weird is to be connected to Jesus. We are only Jesus weird insofar as we are abiding or attentive to Jesus. You cannot separate the two. I mean, John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So to be Jesus weird, if Jesus is going to be pulling us as a church, as a people, to be his ambassadors in the world, then we need to be so connected and wrapped up with Jesus that there is fruit. But who is the one that actually produces the fruit? The Father. This isn't like pull up your bootstraps and try harder so that you can actually make it look like you're bearing fruit. It's like, no, be connected to Jesus because being connected to Jesus will actually produce fruit in your life and that fruit will produce the ability or the product of being Jesus weird. We will be shaped the more we are connected and tethered to Christ. His life will be shaped in us as we are connected to him. Rowan Williams, previous Archbishop of Canterbury, says this, It is no accident that later in the Gospel of John, the language of abiding is used to speak about the relation of the disciple to Jesus. In other words, what makes you a disciple is not turning up from time to time. Discipleship is not an intermittent state. It's a relationship that continues. To be the student of a teacher in the ancient world was to commit yourself to living in the same atmosphere and breathing the same air. There was nothing intermittent about it. Discipleship in that sense is a state of being in which you're looking and listening without eruption, interruption. The true disciple is an expectant person, always taking it for granted that there is something about to break through from the master, something about to burst through the ordinary and uncover a new light on the landscape. The master is going to speak or show something. Reality is going to open up when you're in the master's company, and so your awareness is a little bit like that of a bird watcher. The experienced bird watcher who is sitting still, poised, alert, not tense or fussy, knowing that this is the kind of place where something extraordinary, extraordinary suddenly bursts into view. I mean, that's an incredible picture, right? The disciple is someone who is expectant and watching, someone who is waiting and listening for something to break through from the master. I love that picture. This picture of actually abiding, of being attentive to Jesus, of constantly waiting and wondering, what is he going to do? What is he doing now? What might he say? 
Because the truth is, is like Jesus wants to unleash his life through us. Jesus wants to unleash his life through us. And so we as his followers, people who are wanting to be Jesus weird, should be constantly waiting and wondering when that's going to happen. To whom does he want to unleash his life? What might he do next? I mean, I read this, I'm like, my history as a follower of Jesus is not like this. Like, I had this idea, like, I had to get my Jesus on right before everything else. And, and it's like you, you, you wake up and it, you have to do certain things and then you get filled and then, and then you can go about your life. He doesn't really have anything to say or much to do with the, the spreadsheets that we have to take care of or the diapers we have to change or, or the people we're having conversations with. Like, I... I, I put Jesus at the beginning, so hopefully he informs all of that. But this is a completely different picture of what it means to be a disciple. Because an attentive disciple says, no, Jesus is involved with all of those things. And Jesus wants to be involved in all of those things. He cares about how I'm doing work, how I'm talking with others, how I treat my children, or my wife, or my friends. He cares about the conversations that I'm having. I mean, Jesus wants to be involved in every single part of my life. And it's my being attentive to that reality and wondering what it is he's doing and what he might want to do that actually will make it possible for him to unleash his life through me. And that's what I think is so fascinating and so wonderful about this conversation for me personally is that at the end of the day, being Jesus weird is about loving people. I mean, you look at the abiding, he, he has all these things to say, and then he ends it. If you, let's just look down at verse 12 of here, John 15. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. See, being Jesus weird, at least how I look at it and why it's so compelling to me, is because I don't feel like it's an obligation, it's not a task that I'm trying to accomplish. It's, an actual, it's, a, it's a posture that, that produces love for people. It makes it possible for me to love other people. And I have seen God do this in my life, showing others love. I have seen God's love through others to me who have also adopted this posture. One of the things that I've been praying the last few weeks, before I talk with people or if I know I'm going to be in a conversation with someone, I've been praying, Jesus, give me an opportunity to talk about you. I've been praying that Jesus would give me an opportunity to talk about him. Not an opportunity to tell people about him, but an opportunity to talk about him. Because for me, that assumes that Jesus is actually at work in my life. 
and that I have something to say. But don't pray this if you don't want God to answer the prayer. Because it's put me in some tricky situations. Usually, instead of praying this prayer, my thought process is, before I go to have a conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus, is how can I make sure that I don't have to talk about that? How can I get around that? Because I don't want to come off as like, you know, that, that, that crazy Christian. But I've been instead stepping into this and hoping that, that Jesus might provide an opportunity, and I've been attempting to take those opportunities. And they've afforded some pretty remarkable conversations. I have a friend who's also a neighbor who also cuts my hair, which is great, um, a great thing. And recently I was praying, because she was going to cut my hair, and I was praying this prayer, Jesus, that you would give me an opportunity to to talk about you. And, And we were sitting there, and she was telling me some of her story recently, and and it's always, you know, um, catching up on her life, and, and I'm really interested in who she is as a person. Like, there's no ulterior motives. I just, I love this person, and I want to be around her, and, and I, I want to hear about her life. And so she's, she's telling me about her life, and I was thinking and praying, okay, um, and wondering when might be an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And I couldn't, like, I maybe felt something, that, that there was perhaps an opportunity, but um, I, I didn't step into it. I didn't take a risk in that moment. But I did, when I was praying for, which I told her I would, when I was praying for on my way um, back home, I felt like, like God actually gave me something um, to, that I could say to her. So I sent her a text, and it was a risky text. I mean, it was just talking about Jesus and, and how I, I believe that he wants to show her that, that he loves her. And, and, um, and it's one of those texts where you, like, you constantly feel like your leg is vibrating because you're, like, uh, you're waiting for that next text. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I was like, how is she going to respond? And she didn't for a while. I thought, oh, all right. <laughs> that's, that's the worst. Uh, and so um, she did it for a while, and then she, she'd sent me a text that evening, and she said, this made my day. She said, thank you so much for your words. And, I mean, that was an, an incredible thing to, to, um, to get, right? And, and it wasn't because, because I'm an incredible person or or because I'm a remarkable, remarkable human being, but because I was truly wanting Jesus to show this person that he loves her. Now, the flip side of that is, I was at Steelhead Coffee, which if you haven't been there, it's a coffee shop on Wardlow off of Orange, which is great, and I'm telling you all about it because I wanted to stay there, so get your coffee there. So I was hanging out, hanging out there and, and, I was, and I was reading there and, and I developed a friendship with someone who actually works at another coffee shop um, and he was cheating and, and he, so he, he, wa- he walks in and I was like, I told I was like, you are a cheater and, um, and, he, 
and he, 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 he sat down next to me, and we began to talk, and I was so excited to see him. And, and he was talking about his life, and he was sharing some things about his life that, that I felt very burdened for. I felt very burdened for him. And the whole time, I really sensed that, that, I, should, that I should pray for him. And I didn't. We had an incredible conversation. He thanked me for it. He, ended up, he, he, he walked out of the coffee shop. And that whole day, I was, I was thinking about that. And the, the cool thing about the, the, the thinking that I did about that is I didn't feel like guilty or that I needed to shame myself or that I like, missed this, the one opportunity I had. What I actually felt disappointed about is that I really think Jesus wanted to show this person that he loved him and that I could have played a part in that and I chose not to. And that kind of bummed me out. And this is why this, this conversation is so compelling to me because it's Jesus, his welcome to people is not abstract. Why? Because it's embodied in the way that we welcome people. Jesus' love is not abstract because it's embodied and it's enfleshed in the way that we love people. That's why I get excited about Jesus moving our church, our community, all of us into this posture of, of being Jesus weird because I think people will experience a love that they've never experienced before. And I can say that because in John 15, it says greater love has no one than this that a man laid down his life for his friends. And so the love of Jesus is more beautiful and remarkable and compelling, more transformational than, than anything else. So why would I not, like, why would I not want to talk about that? Why would I not want someone to experience his love? So fast forward, or I guess rewind, fast forward to this last Friday. Um, we had a neighborhood happy hour at our house, uh, and we've been doing that or tried to do that a few times to really connect with neighbors and get to know neighbors and have neighbors connect with each other because a lot of us actually noticed that we didn't really know each other. So we were wanting to get to know each other, and, and I was having a conversation with, with a person, and uh, my job came up, and he knows what I do. And he, he was like, how does someone pull a salary from that? I was like, <laughs> I was like this is going to be an awesome conversation. So um, <laughs> and I said, you'd be surprised. And, and, uh, and no, I didn't say that. And he, but I said that uh, um, we just started talking about church. And, and we start, he, he, he said to me, he said, you know, I'm just really intrigued uh, by you guys because you, you're, you're not trying to get us to go to church. Uh, and, um, and, I, and I was just like trying to, uh, trying to figure out how do I respond to this, but I've been, I was praying, okay, Jesus, give me an opportunity to talk about you. Uh, and, and so that was in my mind. And, and so he's like, yeah, I'm just really like surprised by that. And so I was trying to engage this conversation and, and trying to say, well, well like, this incredible group of people, and I was talking about you, I was talking about us, that we really want to see the life and the love of Jesus like actually be embodied and for people to experience that. And what's cool is I, I kept on talking about us. I kept on talking about people. 
And that, had to, that made me have to talk about Jesus and what I think he's doing. I didn't talk about, hey, 9.30 on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, man, it's going to be awesome. No, I never invited him. In that whole conversation, I never invited him here. I just simply wanted to talk about Jesus and talk about how I see Jesus at work in you and in our lives. And it was a remarkable conversation. And I was so excited, and, and, and I felt like Jesus answered my prayer, but then I also think that, that he's still intrigued, that he's, he still wants to know more. And it's because I care for him. So this person's actually married to my other friend who cuts my hair and is my neighbor. And so I'm constantly wondering, God, what are you up to? And we were talking to another neighbor, and they were like, yeah, we were told we should go to your church. And I was like, really, from who? They were like, from these other people. I'm thinking, they've never even been here. <laughs> but then Lou had the comment, he made this, this orienting comment to me that I thought was so remarkable. He said, perhaps they actually have a better understanding of church than we often do. That my neighbors understand the church to be a group of people, not a worship service, not a set-aside time where we come together, but actually a group of people. And I think what they're experiencing, because it's, it's not just Mandy and I, this person who cuts my hair is actually involved in different people's lives here at Grace. Because she cuts their hair as well. And she can't stop talking about what she's experiencing. And it's because God is taking us as a people into a place where we are living into this posture of being Jesus weird. And people are wanting to get a taste of that. They've tasted the love of Jesus and he can't get enough of it. And that's why this conversation is so exciting for me. That's why it's so wonderful that we're talking about what we're talking about. And I can't wait to see what God continues to do. Now, I'd like to offer one thing very practically before our time is through. One thing that you might be able to practice and step into to cultivate this posture of attentiveness. Because being attentive to Jesus actually makes it possible for us to be attentive to others. And it's this. When you're in conversations with people, when you're listening, is you're being attentive to Jesus and you're asking, Jesus, what is one thing you want me to say to this person? What is one thing you want me to say to this person? And such a prayer assumes that Jesus actually communicates with us but also wants to communicate with others through us. Now, as I've been praying this, when in conversations with people, it's been very freeing, because I, I love listening to people, and when, I, when we listen to people, so many things are said. And it's often paralyzing for me to think, how am I going to respond to all of these things? But if we're good listeners, and we're listening actively, and we're truly curious, and we love the people with whom we're speaking... We can be attentive to Jesus, asking him what he might want to say to this person. 
And I believe this is a posture or a question that would cultivate a posture of attentiveness to Jesus and to others. I mean, and it begins with us, honestly. Like, it needs to start with us. Like, we need to be a people who are asking this question for one another. Because it needs to be normalized, and it needs to be something that we actually see the fruit of. And then perhaps God can use that also outside of the walls of this this community, these church for other people. Because Jesus wants to show his love to us. And he wants to show his love to others through us. It isn't about coming to Sunday to be filled. The thing is, if we're in Christ, we are already filled. Always filled. The postures like this perhaps open up the valve to let the living water run through us in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to cultivate a posture of attentiveness to you and to other people around us. I pray that we would be expectant disciples wanting to hear from you, the Master, showing us how you want to show and reveal your love through us, through me. I pray that this would change the way that we interact with each other this morning. That we would be listening to you for one thing you might want to say through us to each other. We might be listening for one thing you might be wanting to say to us through each other. And God, I pray that you would unleash the life that you give to us through your Son into the lives of other people around us. That we might see you work and your life spread and we would see transformation occur and we would have testimony to share. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.